Uh, We're going to read from uh, Psalm 90 today. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, um, we have Bibles for you. Um, You can just raise your hand and uh, Kevin will just slip one over to you um, quickly. Uh, It's on page uh, uh, 423 if you're using this, uh, this Bible here. Psalms is always easy to find because you can just sort of, my dad taught me if you just go right in the middle of the Bible, it's right there and you're in Psalms. If you ever have a, a, a sword drill, you know, the Bible's your sword, right? If you ever have sword drills when you were kids, try to find somebody says, find, you know, Luke 4.23. First person to find it wins. Today we're going to be in, uh, in Psalm 90, and uh, we'll just read uh, the first two verses together uh, before we pray. In Psalm 90, in verse 1, it says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Let's pray. Our God, we read here in your word, in your precious word, that you have existed from everlasting to everlasting, and so we can't help but but worship you uh, just for that fact alone. But now as we look into this psalm, we, we just ask that, um, that you would be here in this place and that you would uh, just teach us from your word. Uh, give, give each one here uh, ears to hear uh, what you have for us. Let the words of this psalm uh, be meaningful to us and, and change our lives. We count upon you, we depend on you for this, and we We thank you in advance for what you'll do today. We pray all this in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. So so Psalm 90 is is the first of, it says in this Bible, and maybe in yours too, it says it's the first psalm of book four in the Psalms. And the Psalms is actually divided into five books. Um, There are other situations like that. Uh, in the Bible, there's First Kings and Second Kings, and First John, Second John, Third John. There's actually five books of Psalms, and if you're kind of a numbers geek like I am, um, it actually means that there are not 66 books in the Bible. There are actually 70 books in the Bible, and if you're a numbers uh, geek, you know that seven and seventy and sevens in general is a very, um, very good number in Scripture. So there actually are uh, 70 books of the Bible, and it also says here at the beginning. Of, uh, of the chapter, it says, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. So this was written by Moses, and uh, we maybe know a little bit about Moses already. Um, Moses was one of the main characters, you know, in the, in the very beginning of the Bible. Um, we believe that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. And, uh, and if you remember, uh, maybe if you heard about Moses in Sunday school, the, um, he was born in Egypt, and, and there was a threat that all the, all the baby boys, all the Hebrew boys, were to be killed. So Moses' mother hid him in, the, in a boat and just sent him down the river. And he was found by, a, by a, I think it was the Pharaoh's daughter, I think, if I have that right. And, and he grew up in, in royalty. And he was, um, he was able to be raised by his mother, but sort of as a, as a lost orphan. So he had a he had an interesting start, but then um, in Egypt, 
there was a conflict, and he, uh, he actually killed a, an Egyptian um, sort of a supervisor. And he got in trouble, and he had to run. And, uh, and then he met God in the wilderness. And maybe you remember the burning bush, and Moses spoke to God directly through that burning bush. Lots of Bible stories about Moses. And, and then uh, Moses came back to Egypt, and he had the, the contest with Pharaoh and the ten plagues and let my people go and all those things. And so Pharaoh finally, after the ten plagues, had to let um, the Israelites go. And they, they, they left, and the, Egypt, the Egyptians were chasing them. And, uh, and that's when they had to cross the Red Sea, and, and God divided the waters, and the Israelites went across. And, um, and the Egyptians were, were covered by the, by the waters. And then, uh, then they were on to the wilderness on their way to the Promised Land, and all that time Moses was with them and leading them. And he was, um, he was the, main, the main leader of that group. But he, um, he, uh, one of his complaints, which is funny, I'm, I'm up here today, and, and one of Moses' main complaints was that he was not a good speaker. He says, I'm not eloquent. And, and God said, that doesn't matter. You know, you're going to speak my words. And so I, hopefully that's what will happen today. Um, w- one of the unique things about Moses, too, was Moses went up to uh, Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. And, uh, and he actually met with the Lord uh, God face-to-face, which is um, very, very uh, unique privilege. In fact, after he came down, his face was still shining. It says he had to cover his face with a veil because it was so bright after meeting face-to-face. So he has an interesting perspective, maybe a different perspective on, uh, on his experiences than, say, David, who wrote um, many, many of the Psalms. So we, we go from that perspective, I guess, today. And, and Moses was, was a man who, uh, who wandered for many, many years in the wilderness without a home, without a home. And so we look at these first two verses here, and it says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. So Moses saw the Lord God as a dwelling place. They didn't really have a home. They wandered through the wilderness for 40 years without a home. Yet Moses realized that really their home their dwelling place was, was God himself. It was a person rather than a place. Now, that word dwelling place doesn't exactly mean a home. It, it has more of a sense of a refuge and a place to turn to in times of trouble. And the Israelites got themselves into lots and lots of trouble. And I know that, that today, you know, as Christians, if, if you're a Christian, we're spoken of as strangers and pilgrims here on this earth. And and really, we should be looking uh, to him as our refuge and our home. But it also, too, in verse 2 here, it says, Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And so here's, here's where we get, uh, we're going to get a contrast here between, between God and man. And if you saw in the video... It says, God, it seems like you've been here forever. And we can't really understand how long God has been here. Um, God told Abraham, I am, I am. That's, that's his name, I am. He's self-existent. He's got, the, the way we understand it is that he has no origin. He's ever-present. Um, Abraham called him El Olam, the everlasting God. And he's the creator of this universe. And we have the opportunity today to know him intimately 
And in the New Testament, it's spoken of that we can know this God, this creator God, who is ever-present, who has been here long before the mountains. We can know him as our dear Father. He's not a God that we have to be afraid of. He's not a God, you know, this, this chapter, we're going to get into it a little bit, but God is, is a holy God, but we don't have to fear him. We can see him as our Abba, as dear Father. And that's a privilege that we can have uh, today. So it sort of switches here in verse 3, and, and we'll start reading here. Um, if you look in verse 2, it says, Everlasting to everlasting. And uh, God goes from everlasting to everlasting, and we're right there in the middle in that little word, too. That's where we live. Everlasting to everlasting. So let's start here in verse 3 of Psalm chapter 90. It says, You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? We'll stop there for a minute. But we see the contrast here. We see the contrast between God, who is everlasting, ever-present, no origin, and man. It says we live 70, maybe 80 years, and then we're gone. Look at what we're compared to here in this chapter. We're compared to uh, a watch in the night, just like a, a few hours in the evening. We're compared to a dream, like grass that grows in the morning and then it withers. And then in verse 9, we're compared to a sigh, compared to a sigh. So the first thing that we can get out of this chapter is is a good look at time. And in in James chapter 4, we can see this, this verse here says, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. God lives outside of time. I think maybe he created time for us. And so we get a real easy application here. It actually says what to do with these verses. You know, sometimes we read the Bible and and we have to try to figure out, well, what does this all mean? What does this all mean? But in Psalm 90, if we go to the next verse here, it tells us, it tells us what to do in verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. Because of all this, 
God is so big and we are so small. We live for such a short time. It says, teach us to number our days. So what does that mean? I did a little math. And uh, <laughs> a year is 365 days. And I don't know if there are some teenagers in here, but maybe you've lived about 5,000 days. I'm going to hit 15,000 in a, in a few short days. <laughs> I'm going to be due for some service, I think. <laughs> but, uh, and, then, and then we can expect, according to Moses, uh, to live maybe 25,000 or 30,000 days. So that was fun to think about. But surely not what this psalm is saying, right? We have a limited amount of time here. And there's an urgency, right? This, the, the psalm is trying to give us a sense of urgency that our life is short. So what do we do with that time? We need to check in once in a while and, and think about what we're doing. Like, why do we get up in the morning and go to work? Why do we, why, what are we doing with our children? What are we doing with our friends? What are we doing with our, our evenings? in our time, and we need to check in once in a while, and are we really counting our days as precious? It says that if we number our days, if we understand that our days are numbered, that we can get a heart of wisdom, a heart of wisdom. And uh, God's Word has, has a lot to say about wisdom, but the very first thing, the very first thing, It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that's just a few pages over in Psalm 111. And so if we put that together, we understand that we're only here for a very, very short time. We're here for a very, very short time. And this is where we need to start, with the fear of the Lord. So that might mean something different to each one of us. Um, For some of us here, if we don't know who God is, if we don't um, reverence him, if we don't know, if we don't understand that he loves us and sent his son to die for us, that's where we need to start. And we need to start thinking about that today because our life here is short. It's like a dream. It's here and then it's gone. I hope you will think about that today. And if you do know the Lord Jesus as your Savior today, We still need to check in and think about what are we doing with our time? Are we using it to build his kingdom? It says we'll get wisdom. And and God's word, again, has a lot to say about wisdom. And what is wisdom exactly? You know, we hear about wisdom and we hear about knowledge. And what's the difference between wisdom and knowledge? Well, at the beginning of of this... uh, of this message, I, I listed a bunch of facts about Moses, and that's knowledge. And you could go to Wikipedia, and you could get a list of things about Moses, or you could learn about the periodic table, or, or any of those things. And, and all those things are, are knowledge. And we also know that, that, um, that knowledge is going to continue to increase um, in the world. And we see that. We see that, especially with the 
With the development of the internet, we see the growth in knowledge. But can we say that there's a growth in wisdom? That's hard to say. So the difference between knowledge and wisdom um, has more to wisdom has more to do with um, making the right decisions or pointing someone in the right direction. And you don't get that without knowing the Lord. You don't get that. We're not able to make good decisions. We're not able to point people in the right direction. We won't know what to do if we don't look to, uh, look to him for wisdom. So whatever we do for, for God, whatever we do for his kingdom, while we're here in our few days, the few days that we're here, um, we're told that those things that we do for him can never tarnish. They don't wither like the grass. They don't burn in fire. They're eternal. And the things that we do for his kingdom will never fade away. So I would encourage us today, I would take this, take this verse and I would like to encourage us to number our days, to strive for wisdom um, rather than some of the other things that the world makes attractive to us. I want to go back for a minute to, uh, to verse 8. And verse 8 is sort of a scary verse for me. Verse 8 says, You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. And I was hesitant to talk about this because nobody likes to talk about secret sins. That's why they're secret. You know? um, when, when we sin, we feel, uh, we feel some shame. And that's, um, or that's what's supposed to happen when we sin. Um, when Adam and Eve sinned, they, the first thing they did was they hid from God because they were ashamed. And we tend to do the same thing. Um, and that's, uh, incidentally, that's why life is short, right? That's why life is, is hard. That's why it's hard work um, because of the sin of Adam and Eve. We're told that that's, that's what will happen um, because of their sin. We also tend to put sins in categories. You know, here it says... Um, we have all these iniquities. We have all these sins and things, things we've done wrong. And we have secret sins. And maybe, maybe you think of big sins or maybe little sins or public sins or private sins or moral sins. And we think of sins in lots of different ways. I'm not sure that's how God sees it. I don't think God thinks the little ones are okay. Um, but we tend to put sins into categories. And so I wonder, I wonder if today we don't, um, we don't want to talk about some of the things that are going on in our life. Our, our heart is kind of like our house. And, um, and we can invite the Lord Jesus into our heart. And I hope that you will do that today if you haven't already. But when we let him in, we say, you know, come into my heart, but there's just a few places I'd rather you not go. You ever have people over, and you're scurrying around and getting the house cleaned up, 
And there's a few places, you know, maybe your closet or under your bed or your attic or back behind the house. There's some places you just rather people not see. And I wonder if we're like that with our heart and Jesus. Are there parts of our heart, you know, Jesus, come into my life, save me, rescue me, change my life. But not this one area. I don't want to talk to you about that. And I know I've done that. And maybe some of you, if you're like me, have those little areas of your life or areas of your heart that you're not really comfortable talking to other people about and you don't really want to talk to God about it. But the Bible says in many, many places that God sees all those things anyway. Um, In Proverbs, Proverbs it says, Um, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch over the evil and the good. And uh, it says also in, um, in Chronicles, it says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. And in Hebrews, this verse is going to come up on the screen here, but it says, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So I don't bring these verses to our attention to scare anybody. We're not, they're not here to scare you, but, but these verses are in the Bible to convict us of these things, to convict us of what's going on in our lives. And I've done some horrible, awful things that I never wanted to talk to the Lord Jesus about. And I'm not totally comfortable with talking to him about those things. And maybe you know John 3.16, and it talks about God's love. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Great verse. Maybe some of you know the verse that comes after it. I think we have that here. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved and that's the message I want us to hear this morning. Is that if you have secret sin, or any sin, God sent his son because he loved us to die on the cross and pay for those sins. He already paid for those sins. He already paid for them. And he wants to relieve you of that shame and that guilt that you feel that I feel. And I can say, you know, God, I I accept that gift. I accept the gift of your son. And I know you love me, and I I accept that gift, and and we can be free from that guilt of, of sin. And so God wants us to hear that message today. That even if we have big sins or little sins or public sins or private sins, any of those things, that, that those things can be gone and washed away. You know, a lot, of the, a lot of the Psalms were written by King David. And King David had a really big secret sin. And I don't know if you know the story or not, but David was a king and he was out in his palace and he looked and he saw a woman and she was washing herself. 
uh, and he watched her, and um, he liked what he saw. And that was a secret sin. Nobody knew about that. But he didn't stop there. And this is what happens with sin sometimes is we, we justify it a little bit, and then it gets worse and worse and worse. And so King David, he was the king. Um, he sent for this woman, and, um, and she came to his palace, and, and they, um, they slept together, and, uh, and she became pregnant with his child. And that was really bad, and nobody knew about it. Um, but it got worse, and, um, and he was the king. And so he sent then for her husband, and he met him and found out that he was actually a pretty good guy. And it made him feel even worse. And so he, um, he sent him out into battle. The man's name was Uriah. And he sent him out, and he put him, not only did he put him in battle, he said, put this guy in the front. And so David was responsible for this man's death. And then he, he took the woman Bathsheba, and she became his wife. And all these things were done in secret. And God knew about this, and he saw all these things. You know, the people around him, I don't think probably too many people knew about it. They probably thought David was a pretty good guy. But God knew about it. And God knows about the things that we do in our lives. And he says, I saw what you did, and I love you anyway. And in Romans it says, even when we were dead in sins, Christ died for us. And I want you to hear that today, that your sins are paid for by the Lord Jesus when he died on the cross. We need to hear that today. And we can be set free from guilt and shame from any sin that we have. And I want you to leave here today with that message only. If that's the only thing you hear today, I want you to hear that, is that God loves us. And we don't need to feel that guilt and shame because of what his son accomplished on the cross. By the way, in, uh, in Psalm chapter 51, I don't know if you've ever read it before, but Psalm chapter 51 is David's apology uh, to God. And it's an amazing psalm, and we won't read it today, but I guess I would challenge you to go and, uh, and read that for yourselves. But it's all about David's confession uh, to God for his secret sin. And it's an amazing chapter. And I hope that will have a profound effect on you um, if you're willing to read it. So, in Psalm 90, we read about time and we read about uh, secret sin. And then the last thing I'd like to to mention today, um, we'll read a few more verses here. The... the, um, the theme sort of starts to change here at the end. And in verse 13, it says, Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. 
Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. In verse 14, it says, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. And so just a little practical reminder for us today that the morning is a precious time. The morning is a precious time. And, and I love to sleep, um, probably like many, many of you. I love to get those few extra minutes. But God's word is filled with examples of people who got up early. And it's always spoken of in a positive way. We never hear about people who like slept in and didn't get hit by a car because of it. You know, that's never, it's never sp- spoken of um, in, a, in a positive way. It, 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 sleep is spoken of in a positive way, and rest, those things are spoken of um, in a positive way, but not, um, but not slothfulness. So I, I want to encourage us today. It says, satisfy me in the morning with your steadfast love. And I guess I want to challenge us, and, and myself, you know, I speak to myself here um, more than any of us, because I'm horrible at it. But the morning is a precious time. The morning is a precious time. You can schedule your morning. You can schedule every morning. If you're anything like, like me and, and my family, um, our evenings are chaos. You've got dinner. You're tired. You've got activities. You've got um, social things. And, and you might just not feel like doing anything. But the morning is a precious, precious time period. And it's, it's interesting also that it says to satisfy me in the morning. It's interesting to me how we can feel satisfied in the morning. Usually you feel satisfied at the end of something, right? Yet God has chosen to use this word, satisfy me in the morning. How can we feel satisfied already in the morning? The morning is a great time to pray. It's a great time to read God's Word, read commentaries. It's a great time to listen to music or play music. It's a great time for all those things. And when we do those things in the morning, we are aligning ourselves with Him. And we we leave for our day with those things in mind. And so if you aren't doing it already, and I'm sure there are many, many of you who are, but maybe take a few minutes in the morning and talk to God just for a few minutes. Maybe read a verse or two or a chapter. Maybe read a psalm in the morning. The morning is a precious time, and we can schedule that in advance and and make it intentional and take that time and and give it to him. God's word is also filled with examples of, of people who gave 
their first fruits. Gave their first fruits, not what was left over. Not if I have time, then I'll read a little bit tonight, if I have time. That's not giving our first fruits or our best. If we do it in the morning, it's intentional and it's meaningful. We sang, uh, we sang earlier, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And that song comes from a verse in Lamentations. It says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God never changes. We read about that at the beginning of the chapter. And he never runs out of mercies. He never runs out of blessings for us. They're new every morning. He has just what we need every morning. And it's not something that you can just get if you don't talk to him, if you don't set some time apart for him in the morning. So I want to encourage us to do that. Let's align ourselves with him in the morning. And what do we get from that? It says, we'll be glad, rejoice, and be glad all our days. That's how our days will go because we know he's in control. We know that his work will never fail. And we know if we make our work his work, if we align those two things, it can never fail. And it says that here at the end as well. It says, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. When we understand that our work is actually work for him, we're working with him to build his kingdom, when we understand that, then we know that whatever we do is valuable, is eternal, and it can never fail. It's worthwhile. So this can be our prayer at the end of this chapter here. This is a great thing to pray. To satisfy us in the morning with his love. To give us joy and gladness. Even though our days are hard and the times are evil and we see those things in the world, we see him as our source of joy. We want him to make his work evident to us, his servants. And the second half of the verse is so powerful to me. It says, and your glorious power to their children. We saw earlier at the beginning of the chapter, it said, even from generation to generation. Or it says in, in all generations, excuse me, in all generations. And I had parents that passed this, this wisdom on to me, and I want to pass it on to, to my children. And it's important that we pray for our children and for, for the people that are in there working with them right now because we want him to be our God in all generations. It's an important thing to pray for as well. So let's think about what we're doing with our time. Let's number our days that we can get a heart of wisdom. Let's think about that sin that's in our lives and let's confess that sin. Keep short accounts with God. Don't drag out the sin in our lives. 
If we've got sin in our lives, let's confess it. If you don't know him as your Savior, do it today. Our days are numbered. I hope that you will see him as a loving God and his Son as one who loved us so much that he came here to die for us and cleanse us of our sins. And I hope that we will think about the morning as the perfect time to set aside to pray or read or sing. And let's align our day with him. Let's pray. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. And we are are humbled by this chapter and we see our frailty and we see the, the span of our lives, the best parts of our lives filled with toil and trouble. But we know that you are the source of joy, uh, of happiness, of peace. And so now we look to you today and, and we ask you that you would remind us that, that our time here is short, that it's like a vapor or a sigh or a dream. And help us to, uh, to apply our hearts uh, to wisdom. And then too, Lord, we would just ask you, you know, we, we, have, we have things in our lives that, that we aren't comfortable talking about. Maybe thoughts or, or activities that, that we don't want to share with others, but they're, they're hindering our communion with you. Give us the courage to, uh, to let you into those dark places of our heart that we can enjoy communion with you completely. It's what we were created for. Help us to understand that and to understand that, that Jesus has paid it all. Jesus paid it all on the cross. There isn't, isn't one sin that he didn't pay for. Help us to, to understand that and take hold of it and, and release that guilt and that shame. And then too, Lord, the, the mornings are so precious. Give us the strength and the, and the motivation to, to set aside at least just a few minutes in the morning. And we know that you'll bless us for it. So we thank you now. We thank you for Moses and, and for this psalm. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for this time here today. We thank you that you will speak to us and bless us here and we'll praise and worship you for it. And we pray all this in the name of your son, the Lord Jesus. Amen.